Wow, what a good group out tonight. Look at this. This is great. Awesome. By the way, I want to thank several of, of you folks and others that uh, I tried to, in order to maybe get the word out, post some things on my Facebook page and on the church and folks like Bonnie and others wrote some very kind words and I really appreciate that. I think that that helps get the word out to people that might, again, not realize what we're about and what we're trying to do here. So thank you all very much for that. So before we dive into the book of Daniel, a couple, a couple introductory things. First of all, let me go back to one of the things that I shared Sunday to try to whet people's appetites for this series. This series in Daniel is all about handling the pressures of life. <laughs> None of us have pressure, I know. So, uh, but it, it really is about the pressures of life. And we all know throughout different seasons of our life, obviously there's different levels of pressure. Now, whatever those levels of pressure are, there's really about three ways that we can deal with pressure or that pressure deals with us. One, we can let the pressures of life get to us and completely sort of crush us and, and overwhelm us and subdue us. And, and I've been there. We've, we've probably all been there at times where the pressures got to us. We didn't keep on top of the pressure. There's two other ways to deal with pressure. And again, I want you to think about the, the deep sea, if you will. Uh, several you know, years ago. Uh, they built uh, a sub called a bathysphere that was able to go down to the depths of the ocean. And the reason that that sub can, can withstand the pressures of the deep ocean is because obviously they have lined that thing and built the outside of that thing so well that obviously it doesn't allow anything in. Now, that's certainly a way to deal with pressure. The problem with that kind of dealing with pressure that way is that sub is also very rigid. It's very stiff. Where it goes down is where it's got to come back up. There's not a lot of freedom and movement. Then God created these fish to live at that depth. And, and when God created the fish to live at those extreme depths, uh, obviously they have great freedom of movement. And and the reason that they can exist at the depths where that pressure would crush things is because God built within them the ability to be able to, in a sense, from the inside out, push on that pressure from the outside. And I want you to get that picture in your mind because that's what God wants to do with every believer. He wants to build us up strong on the inside so when the pressures of life comes from the outside... We have the strength to be able to push back and push against that pressure. And because we are b being built by God that way, we also then have a lot of freedom and movement. We're not so stiff like the bathysphere. In fact, I also want to, you to think about it in, in the way of the fish that God created are living in that pressure by grace. And, and the bathysphere would sort of be the, the Christian or the person who's trying to keep the pressures of life out, but they're, they're tending to sort of lean into legalism. And, and they're trying so hard to keep the world out of their life 
that they've set themselves up all these rules and regulations, the problem with that is, by not living by grace, is they become very stiff and rigid in so many ways and really can't experience the freedom that God wants. So the, the better way to do it is to be like that fish that can push against the pressure and live by God's grace. And of course, we sung about that tonight. And that's what, again, Daniel is all about. So, a couple things about Daniel. Let's first talk about the person Daniel. He was primarily a government official all the years of his life. Even though he prophesied, and, and, and we would consider him also a prophet, that, that he primarily served God as a government official. And not only a government official, but let's remember, not in his own country. He was a government official in a foreign country for the majority of his life and his ministry that God called him to was primarily a ministry to Gentiles not to Jews now his contemporary the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament he primarily was called by God to minister to the Jews rather than the Gentiles and I say all that to encourage you in this God calls us, and it might even be seasonally, okay? It doesn't have to be the same sort of calling, if you will, throughout all of our lives. Many times it's, it's something different to focus on at different seasons of our life. But one thing is for sure. The Bible teaches us, and Daniel illustrates, that God will call us to focus on something rather specific at each season of our life. God doesn't expect Daniel or you or I to save the whole world because none of us can do that. And there's more needs out there than any one person can meet. And God doesn't expect you to be able to meet all the needs as I share with people all the time. Just because you and I are aware of a need doesn't mean God expects us to meet the need. But what God does expect, as he did with Daniel and he does with us, is whatever he is asking us to do at the moment, whatever he is calling us to, whatever he wants us to focus on, that's what he wants us to focus on. And he wants us to give it everything we've got. And that's exactly what Daniel did. He gave it everything he got, everything he got. And as a government official in a foreign country, ministering primarily to Gentiles, obviously... He was used by God in a great way. God doesn't need all of us to be this or that. That's why God made all of you and all of us unique. God doesn't expect me to be you and you to be me. And God has given us all a unique set of gifts, talents, and abilities. And he wants you to just focus on that, that area or that, that ministry that he wants you to focus on. And, and obviously, I believe that for all these years, God has just wanted me to focus primarily, though I obviously have to do other things as a pastor, that he primarily wants me to focus on studying and teaching the word of God. Which means then that there's many times where I have to say no to other things because that would take away from the focus that I need to give to the study of the word of God in order to benefit me and obviously teach you folks. And, and you're going to find that true in your life. And that's why I encourage people, make sure that your, your focus is narrow enough that you truly can do what God has called you to do well. 
that, as again, is going back to something my parents, the, the phrase they used to use with me, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. And there are many people out there that are involved in so much, even as a Christian, that they really can't make a, a dynamic impact in any one area because they, they sort of take the shotgun approach. And, you know, there's so many different things. And, and I think God teaches us in his word, I want you to focus. And so Daniel, again, focused primarily on Gentiles. And he was primarily used as a government official, which again reminds us, folks, God wants some people to be very involved in politics and government. And obviously he wants all of us to be good citizens, Romans 13, and he wants all of us to vote, and he wants all of us to be part of our political process that we're involved here in our nation. But I believe he also calls people, just like he did Daniel, to serve God in a government level. You think about all the people in the, in the Bible that served God in government. You got Esther, in a sense. She served God under, under the king there. Uh, you've got Joseph, who served under Pharaoh. You've got Daniel, who served throughout the leaders of, of Babylon. And so again, it's just being obedient to whatever God has called us to. Now again, I promise we're going to get to Daniel. But I want you, first of all, before we dive into Daniel, to go to the book of Jeremiah. You're going, why in the world do you want me to go to Jeremiah? And I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. And the reason I want you to go there is because there's a couple verses in Jeremiah 29 that are very familiar to most of us. Very, very familiar and very encouraging verses. And I want you to see the context, though, of these verses tonight. Because these verses are set in Jeremiah 29 around exactly what's happening in the book of Daniel. You see, God wanted the prophet Jeremiah to basically tell the exiles in Babylon, here's how I want you to live. And I don't want you to be discouraged even though you are in exile. The reason you're in exile, and we're going to get to a little bit more of that, is because my people as a nation have become idolaters. And they have forsaken the true God. And therefore, this exile is, is in a sense, a disciplinary suffering that I'm going to take them through so that they will repent and so they will be restored to a place where when they go back to the promised land, they will be able to, to do in the promised land what I called them to do. Right now, they're so spiritually weak that I need to take them out of the promised land because they're not able to fulfill their responsibilities. And, and again, generally, God will do the same thing with us. We talked several weeks ago in Hebrews about God's discipline and training in our life. God has maybe a, a wonderful role or something he wants us to step into, but maybe we're not quite ready. Or maybe we've become disobedient or lazy or complacent or whatever. God will bring certain things into our life, again, never as a punishment, never in a punitive way, but always trying to restore us and build us up and make us stronger so that what he's called us to, we can do more effectively. And that's why these people went into exile. But I want you to notice where these verses are set. Look at verse 1. The prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, sent a letter to the exiles Nebuchadnezzar had carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Then go down to verse 4. The Lord God of Israel, who rules, rules over all, says to all those he sent into exile to Babylon from Jerusalem, build houses and settle down. 
Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Allow your daughters to get married so that they too can have sons and daughters. Grow in number. Do not dwindle away. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it. For as it prospers, you will prosper. For the Lord God of Israel, who rules over all, says, Do not let the prophets or those among you who claim to be able to predict the future by divination deceive you. And do not pay attention to the dreams that you are encouraging them to dream. They are prophesying lies to you and claiming my authority to do so. But I did not send them. I, the Lord, affirm it. For the Lord says, Only when the 70 years of Babylonian rule are over will I again take up consideration for you. Then I will fulfill my gracious promise to you and restore you to your homeland. For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. And when you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. And when you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul. I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. Then I will reverse your plight and will regather you from all the nations and all the places where I have exiled you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. See, God is basically reminding his people, there are going to be many of you that think you're not in my hands anymore, that I don't care about you, that I've abandoned you. And he says, there could be nothing further from the truth. That even though you are being sent into exile, you are as much in my hands as you were Back in the land. And I have a plan for you. I have a future for you. And the reason I'm allowing you to go through this, again, is not to discourage you. Make the best of your life there. Don't pine away for 70 years going, well, I guess we just throw up our hands and and that's it. Our lives are over. God said, no, I, I want you as much as possible to enjoy being there. And make the most of it. Make the best of it. And realize this. That after these 70 years are over, there's even a greater future that I have planned for this nation. A greater future for your children and grandchildren. A greater future for generations to come. Keep that in mind. Let that hope and and let that expectation keep you going throughout those years in exile. So many times, again, these verses are great that, that we... Uh, use in Jeremiah 29, especially verse 11 and, and 12. But remember the context that they are in. They're talking to the people like Daniel who have been exiled to Babylon. So with that, let's finally get into the book tonight. Daniel chapter 1. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem and laid it under siege. Now the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into his power, along with some of the uh, vessels of the temple of God. He brought them to the land of Babylon, to the temple of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The main point of those two verses is in the phrase, the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's power. It it wasn't King Nebuchadnezzar that that was really in control. And, And God wanted to remind his people of that. I'm in control. I am the Lord. Capital L, small O, small R, small D. 
It is the Adonai, Hebrew. And it simply means the master of the universe. The one who is in control. The one who sets up kings. The one who takes down kings. The one who establishes kingdoms. The one who takes down kingdoms. And, and God is reminding his people, I'm in control, you're in my hands. Yes, you're going into exile, but again, the reason you're going in there is because I'm going to use that time in your lives to actually make you a better people, a more spiritual people. I'm going to rid you of your idolatry. You're going to see your need for me. And and you're going to be purified and purged so that when you come out of that exile and those of you that want to go back to the promised land go back, you're going to be stronger than ever. And you're going to be able to be a light to the nations like I called you to be and like I intended you to be. So again, one of the ways you and I can handle the pressures of life is by always remembering that he is the Lord. That he is the master of this universe. That he is in control. And that nothing happens that catches God by surprise. And that God always has deeper plans and deeper purposes. And his wisdom goes much deeper than ours ever could. Again, I always remind us as Christians, think of your life and other people's lives and, and God's perspective and our perspective like an iceberg. We see 10% of the iceberg above the water the other 90% is below the water. And, and God is the only one that can see below the surface in our lives and other people's lives. He's the only one that has a true long-term view of everything. How this affects this, how this web goes over here and touches this person's life, how that person's life then is going to, that's going to direct over here. We could never fathom that. But God can keep all of that together And he can orchestrate it in a way that brings about glory to him. And so we have to keep our in mind that when we go through even hard, difficult times, the best perspective that we can have, the best attitude that we can have is that for whatever reason, God wants me to go through this right now. And so I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to follow the advice of Jeremiah to the exiles. I'm not going to sit there and pine away and complain and and ask God to keep changing my circumstances. When God chooses to change my circumstances and get me out of this, it'll happen. But I'm going to make the best I can with where I'm at right now. Now, I realize I'll share personal testimony from personal experience. That is not always easy to do. That is really hard, and that's why we need to make sure that, man, we are leaning on God and that we are waking up every day saying, okay, God, help me, because right now I'm not in a place that I really want to be, and the pressure is starting to get to me, and I feel like I'm ready to either send up the white flag and give up or just crack up or whatever. And, and some of you know the story about when we moved here to Arizona, that we thought this is where God wanted us to go, but once we got here, there were some, some opportunities that we thought in some churches that were going to pan out, and they didn't. So Lisa and I and the kids land here, and no jobs. Nothing. And I'm going, I've sent out hundreds of resumes all over the valley. There's obviously hundreds of churches here. It's like the fifth largest city in the country. I've been in the ministry for 20 plus years, you mean there's no church here that could use some help? And I never heard back from anyone. And it was like deafening silence. I mean, it was just like, really? 
nothing. So we ended up, and I ended up going to Starbucks and working as a barista for about a year. Because Starbucks does have great insurance. And I wanted to provide at least insurance for my family, making $7 an hour. Yeah, I've made more than that before. But at least it was insurance for my family. And I I can only tell you, I worked the 4 o'clock in the morning till noon shift. And getting up at 3 o'clock out there and getting in my car at 3.30 to be at my Starbucks at 4 o'clock, there were many mornings when I would literally go there and, and be crying in my car and saying, God, I don't understand. This is hard. This isn't where I saw my life. This isn't, this isn't what I thought my life was going to be. You know, have you brought me out to the desert to kill me, God? You know, what's going on here? You know, and then, and then you and I, in those moments, we begin to doubt, well, maybe I didn't hear God right, and, and maybe we shouldn't have moved. And, you know, you, all those things begin to flood in. And, and, and it was God was just saying, Jeff, I want you to get up every day. I want you to go to that Starbucks, and I want you to be the absolute best employee Starbucks has ever had. I want you to hand and make every cup of coffee the best that you possibly can. I want you to put a smile on your face. I want you to treat your fellow partners well. I want you to be Christ at that Starbucks. I want to make a difference through you, and I want to start at that Starbucks. And when it's time, Jeff, I'll open up something else. Now, again, again, it wasn't easy. But God got me through that time. And, and, and that's what Daniel is saying. That's how we can, we gotta keep reminding ourselves that God had a purpose and plan for it. And obviously, we've all been there where after you get out of that, you can look back and go, you know what? I'm a better person because I went through that. I'm a stronger person because I went through that. Uh, I'm a more understanding person, I think, in some ways than I was before that. That there were things that I took for granted that I don't quite take as much for granted now, having gone through those things. And so again, this is what the book of Daniel is reminding us of. That God has higher and greater purposes and we have to, again, entrust ourselves to Him, put all our weight on Him, and realize that there are reasons why we're going through this. Now obviously the people of God though, the thing that that they knew that many times we don't, is they knew exactly why they were there. Because they had become idolaters. Not always when we go through these training exercises with God or these deep waters. Or it, it's not always because we've committed some sin or, or, or something like that. It's just part of our spiritual training. And that's where we've got to trust God even more. Because sometimes we fall into the trap that as Christians, if I do everything right, I'm never going to have to have a bad day in my life. I don't think Job would have probably said that. There are many people in the Bible who actually, because they lived for Christ, they actually experienced a lot of pain and suffering. In fact, we're studying the book of Hebrews right now about those folks that they were embracing Christ but experiencing a lot of pain because of it. So just because we're always doing what's right and we're following God doesn't mean we're not going to go through some of these type of experiences. But we've always got to remind ourselves, God is the Lord. He is in control. And even as we even see the world landscape today, you know, a lot of people freaking out. You know, look what happened in Egypt. Now look at what happens in Bahrain and Libya and all this. And and the whole world seems to be, yeah. But none of this is catching God by surprise. And, And he has a plan and purpose for it all. 
And there is no leader and no king and no kingdom that does not rise or fall without God being in control of it all. And this is exactly why one of the key phrases in the book of Daniel is the Lord delivered the king of Judah into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 3, the king commanded Ashpenaz, who was in charge of his court officials, to choose some of the Israelites who are of royal and noble descent, young men. And, and I believe that these young men were really young teenagers, very, you know, young, in whom there was no physical defect, who were handsome, well-versed in all kinds of wisdom, well-educated and having keen insight, who were capable of entering the king's royal service. And they were going to teach them the literature and language of the Babylonians. So the king assigned them a daily ration from his royal delicacies and from the wine he himself drank. And they were to be trained for the next three years. couple of things. First of all, in order to stand before the king, in order to represent the king, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make sure that he got the best. He wanted the very best to represent him and his kingdom. Now... I think one way that we can apply that is every one of us is children of God. What that says to me is that you and I have the privilege and responsibility of representing Jesus Christ everywhere we go to everyone we come in contact with. And that's why we should strive as representatives of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to make sure that we are giving it our best, that we are a faithful representative of our Lord. Remember, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And, And an ambassador is simply a representative. And God wants all of us to live in such a way that like Nebuchadnezzar was hoping that these young people would be the finest representatives of him and his kingdom, God wants us to be fine, faithful representatives of who he is. And his kingdom to others. Because there's always people who are watching. Whether it's other Christians or whether it's people that don't know Christ. You'll also notice that the king put them through a training program for three years. And it reminds us that God, in order for us to grow, in order to become greater and and assume more and more responsibility. And and to, to just get out of life everything that God wants us to. And to become all that God created us to be, as we've already seen in the book of Hebrews, he will put us through training program as well. And he wants us to be dedicated to that training program. 1 Timothy 4.7, Paul says to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Again, it's not in trying, it's in training. A lot of Christians out there get discouraged and frustrated because they say, Jeff, I'm trying harder to be a better Christian. And the problem with that is it's never going to be because I tried. It's going to be because I entered into training and I just did what I knew God wanted me to do every day, whether I felt like it or not, and I trained and I disciplined myself, if you will. None of us will ever get where God wants us to be without us developing spiritual disciplines in our life. And so we see that here as well. Now you'll notice too, in this passage, part of that training was that they were going to teach them the literature simply meant the history and culture of Babylon, and they were also going to teach them another language. 
And at this point, Daniel didn't have a problem with that. As far as he was concerned, I can always use, an, use another language. And uh, it's not going to bother me to learn the history and the culture of, of Babylon. I don't have a problem with that. And then they go on down here and also say that they changed their names. They gave them Babylonian names and, and, and started to call them by their Babylonian names rather than their Hebrew names. Daniel didn't have a problem with that said, you can call me whatever you want to. You know, we get called a lot of names too, you know. God says, don't worry about that. But there was one thing that Daniel said, you know what? That's where I've got to draw the line. That's where as the pressure begins to come, I feel like if I didn't make a stand here, that I would be compromising my relationship with God. That my conscience would bother me and therefore I've got to make a stand. And so here's where Daniel stood. Verse 6, as it turned out, among those young men were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Again, the overseer of the court renamed them, gave them other names. And then verse 8, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the royal delicacies of the royal wine. He therefore asked the overseer of the court to uh, court officials for permission not to defile himself. Now here's another great principle about how you and I can stand up to pressure. And that is that Daniel had established and determined ahead of time where his boundaries or convictions were. He didn't wait until he got into a situation and tried to figure it out, which is where we go wrong many times. We're sort of like, we haven't developed certain convictions about certain things and we just get into a situation and just sort of like flop around and try to do the best we can. And one of the things that Daniel teaches us about being able to push against the pressure of of the world, the flesh and the devil and everything else that's coming at us is to make sure that we, throughout our spiritual growth, our study of the Word of God, listening to the Spirit of God, that we are always developing and maintaining our spiritual convictions and basically up front saying, you know what, if I'm ever in this situation, I'll go here, but I'm not going to cross that line. Because to me, that's compromise. To me, I couldn't lay my head on the pillow at night in good conscience before God if I went there. And that's what Daniel did. Now again, remember something. He didn't die over everything. As far as he was concerned, call me whatever name you want to call me. I don't care about that. And if you want me to learn uh, the culture and history of the Babylonians and stuff, I don't have a problem with that. And if, if, if you want to teach me your language, I don't have a problem with that. He said, but here's where my line is. Here's where I believe that if I did this, I would be compromising in my personal relationship with my God. That's where I've got to take this stand. And remember, the Bible says in in Romans 12 that be not conformed to this world. And it simply means, that word conform means, don't let the world try to pour you into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only way you and I are not going to be conformed to the world's standards is by allowing our mind to be renewed every day through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. 
because that's when we will have our minds saturated to such a biblical level that when we are placed in situations, we already know what we're going to act or react or do before we ever get to that place like Daniel. And here's the amazing thing. I think we need to take a minute and stop here and say this. Let's remember something about these young men. And we could say young women at that point too. I'm sure there were those there too. But obviously for this, it was pointing out these young men. Obviously, they had some kind of great childhood foundation. I mean, they didn't get to this level of spirituality and conviction as a 15-year-old or 16-year-old in the last year or two. These young men and young women obviously had some great training at some point. Now, obviously, they were the minority in Israel because the whole reason why the nation of Israel went into exile is because the nation as a whole were idolaters. They had forsaken God. They, they were worshiping idols. They were giving their children to, you know, false gods and all of that. It was terrible. But there were some families in Israel. There were some people, as God always says, There's, I'm always going to have a remnant. Even though the majority of people are going to go the way of the world, I'm going to have some people that are going to stay committed to me. And obviously Daniel and, and some of these other people, they grew up in homes and they had, they had such spiritual foundation. And the reason I want to mention that is because it reminds us, this is one of the reasons why what we do, what we do on Tuesday night with our kids here at the Oasis and what we do with them on Sunday is absolutely biblical and right. Because kids at a very young age can grasp the Bible. They can grasp spiritual truth. In fact, a lot of times more quickly than we can as adults. And, and there's nothing greater than making sure as a church and as parents and any time we have influence on young people. And I'm not even talking about young people as teenagers because obviously that's where they were. They had to get them even earlier. That we can Build a biblical foundation in children. And we should be committed to that. Because then by the time they get to be teenagers, when, when they begin to go through that questioning natural stage, and when they start learning and hearing things in the world, they're not always going to buckle under that pressure. If they have that solid foundation like Daniel did. I've shared with people before, I, I mean... I, not a perfect childhood, but I felt like I had a solid Bible foundation as a child. So therefore, it didn't matter when I went to high school and went to biology class and heard a teacher teach on evolution. That, I, I didn't become an evolutionist. I, I knew what they were teaching, but I knew, like, I knew what my conviction was. I knew what I believed and why I believed it. And therefore, I went to biology class. I listened to the teacher. I did what the teacher asked me to do. I, I tried to get good grades, but did I buy into the philosophy behind it? No. No. And in a sense, that's what Daniel is doing here in Babylon. He's not buying into everything because he's already developed his spiritual convictions. And when did it start with Daniel and these others? It started when they were children. That's where they got the foundation. Now, the cool thing is, you and I can begin to develop that Bible 
foundation at any point in our life. And that's, again, why I have such a passion that this church be a church that teaches the Bible nothing more, nothing less. Because the key is going to be when all of us, because all of us are, you know, if we have Christ, we're God's children, that all of us can continually be growing to a point where we've got that foundation. So even no matter how old we are, that when the pressures of life come, we can be like Daniel. And we can be strong so much internally that we can push against the pressure of the world coming at us from the outside. And that's exactly what happened with Daniel. I think the other reason why Daniel took a stand with the food, not with the name, not with the literature, not with the language, but with the food, was because in the Hebrew mind, and in the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, food equals fellowship. That's why God takes very seriously when we, as Christians, eat together. And when we go over to each other's homes and we have meals together. Because from God's perspective, it's not just filling our physical tummies. From God's perspective, when people eat together, that there's a bond there. There's a, there's a fellowship there. So you've got to understand, from Daniel's perspective, if I eat the king's diet, which I believe was probably already sacrificed to idols, in Daniel's mind, that's like I'm entering into fellowship with these false gods and idols. And I want to stay true to my God, therefore I've got to say no. I've got to say no. Now, I want to say this. I think sometimes we need to let our convictions confront our culture. I think that's what God calls us to. There are times where our convictions as Christians are going to confront our culture. Because our culture is going to say, isn't this right? Shouldn't we all look at this this way? And if you and I believe the Bible, there's going to be times where we go, no, God says just the opposite. And we've got to be willing to stand up for what's right, even if it's not popular or politically correct. But I do want to make this point, and Daniel's a great example of this. Even though Daniel was grounded in his convictions, notice he was gracious as he stood for them. That's really important. He was grounded in his convictions, but he was gracious as he stood for them. He was not this obnoxious Christian who, when he was asked to do this, said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that. You guys are all going to hell. He He didn't respond that way. In fact, notice what Daniel did. Notice what Daniel did. He asked permission not to defile himself. He, he wasn't even going to sort of, he, he was just going to say, could we do this? I, I got to make a stand, but I'm not going to be ugly about it. See, that, that's another key. Is that many times we turn people off because, yes, God wants us to stand up and let our convictions confront our culture. But sometimes the way we do it totally turns people off. And so Daniel was very gracious in standing up for his convictions. He actually asked his authority for permission to do this. And notice, the Bible says in verse 9, God made the overseer of the officials sympathetic to Daniel. In other words, he at least allowed this guy to listen to Daniel instead of just sort of blowing him off. And God did that. God was working 
in this man's heart, at least to make him understanding. You see, if you and I are willing to honor God, God will honor us and he will work and he he will work in people's hearts and lives. We've got to pray and we've got to trust that we do what God wants us to do, but do it graciously and God will work and God is at work. But notice verse 10, even though God was at work and at least made this man willing to listen to Daniel, notice his response. He responded in, I fear my master, the king. He is the one who has decided your food and drink. What would happen if he saw that you looked malnourished? In comparison to the other young men your age, if that happened, you would endanger my life with the king. So, guess what? Request denied. Now what? And for many Christians, they get to that point and go, okay, I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to hope God works through this, and, and, and if God's in this, he's going to open up the door. They're going to be okay with it, but if not, I guess it meant he wasn't. But that wasn't true here. In a sense, the first guy that he went to said, no, I'm sorry, I, I'm, not, I'm not on board with that. But that didn't stop Daniel. Daniel said, okay, let's try something else. Let's be creative here. And too often as Christians, when the first door is shut, even though we believe this is what God wants, when the first door is shut, we give up too easily. Daniel didn't give up. He said, okay, I'm going to go to the warden. Verse 11. So Daniel spoke to the warden whom the overseer of the court officials had appointed over Daniel. And then he says in verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days by providing us with some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Basically, Put us to the test in order to prove our convictions. And the reason why Daniel was so confident in that test was because he believed that this is what God was leading him to do and what the Word of God said. And because the Word of God is purified, the Word of God that we put our trust in is a shield. In fact, listen to this verse out of the book of Proverbs. Every Word of God is purified. It's been put through the furnace. It's been tested. Therefore, he is like a shield for those who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30, verse 5. I love that. Every word of God is purified. The word of God's been put to the test. Or you and I can put the word of God to the test. Not in a tempting God way, which we know we're not supposed to do, but simply if God has said it, this word can be tested and it will come out Exactly the way God said. And because of that, then the word of God can be a shield to us. And that's, I think, why Daniel was willing to say, put us to the test, because this really isn't a test of me and my physical prowess or anything else or this diet. It's really a test of my God, of his faithfulness and of his word. That's what this is going to be about. So, verse 13, it goes on to say, compare Our appearance with that of young men who are eating the royal delicacies deals with us in light of what you see. In other words, and when this is all said and done, this 10-day test, we will accept the consequences, whatever it is. If we're better than, right, what's the problem? If not, we're willing to accept the consequences. And I love this definition of faith. 
Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. That's superstition. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. That's what faith is. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. Basically, Daniel said, this is what we need to do, and I'm willing to accept the consequences, whatever they are. We're going to see in a couple weeks in chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are basically threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. They basically say, you know what? If God delivers this, fine. If not, fine. We don't know what his will is in this matter, but we're not going to bow to the idol. In other words, we're going to be obedient to God no matter what the consequences. And if the consequences are we need to go into that furnace, we're going to go into that furnace. God is looking for people like that. That are strong enough to withstand the pressure of conformity that's coming against us. That we are willing to obey God even if the consequences are negative. We've all been there. We've all been faced with choices as a Christian where we needed to do what was right, what God wanted. But the consequences were, really God, you want me to do that? Yeah, I want you to do that. And that's where Daniel was at. So notice verse 14. The warden agreed to test or to, for their proposal and tested them for 10 days. And you know the story. At the end of 10 days, their appearance was better than everyone else. And here's the reason why. Here's the principle. We're going to end with this. And then we'll pick it up here next week. Because Daniel honored God, God honored Daniel. And that's why we read in verse 17, Now as for these four young men, God endowed them with knowledge and skill in all sorts of literature and wisdom. And Daniel had insight into all kinds of visions and dreams. Why did God entrust Daniel with all of this? Because he knew Daniel could be trusted. Because Daniel stuck up for God. Because Daniel's focus was, I'm going to honor God no matter what the consequences. And because of that, God said, you know what, Daniel? I'm going to honor you. And guess what, folks? The Bible says God is the same today as he was then. If you and I are willing to honor God in our culture, in our society, even when it's not popular or politically correct, when he calls us to do what's right, even if there are negative consequences, God will honor us. He will. And this is why Daniel was able to fight against and push back the pressure of his day. As a 15, 16-year-old young man, he was doing this. Which should encourage us that if we just continue to grow in our relationship, we can become like Daniel in that way. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the great book of Daniel. Thank you for this young man's life and these young people from Israel that that were ripped from their homes and ripped from their families and, and, and taken away from everything comfortable and familiar to them. And yet, God, they didn't allow all of that circumstance to define them. They didn't allow that to discourage them. They made the very best of the situation wherever they found it. And their total focus was on just bringing honor and glory to God. 
If God wanted them to be in Babylon, then so be it. They were going to be the best followers of God that Babylon will ever see. And God, that's what you ask of us. That every once in a while in our lives, we may have to go into exile. or We may have to experience a Babylon experience for a while. We don't like it. It's not comfortable. It's not familiar. But God, you want us there. And you just want us to wake up every day and be the very best follower of Christ that we can be so that others will see and so that you are praised. God, inspire us and encourage us with this book and with these examples. And even this week, maybe even tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, before we come back together again on Sunday, maybe you'll give some of us an opportunity to stand up and be a Daniel in our society. To, to be able to share our convictions, but to do it in a very gracious way. Help us to be, God, like those fish you created at the bottom of the ocean. Who have such freedom, but also such strength to push against the pressure that's trying to crush them. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.